0: For those of you that, uh, that don't know me, my name is Keith Grant. I am an associate pastor here at uh, Riverside Community Church. So I just want to welcome you guys um, to Riverside. And for those of you that don't know as I, I have a seven-year-old... Oh, seven-year-old. My time went fast. Seven-month-old daughter. Um, her name is Arden. You know, the, one of the most amazing things when you have a child is to see your child hit different stages. It's exciting because... Like, you look for little things, you're like, man, she's like sitting up on her own now. Or, uh, you know, she's trying to talk, so she's babbling different words. So it's so exciting, but one of the other things that's in the back of your mind that you know, and anybody who has kids, you know this, anybody who's been around kids, you know this, that there's going to come a point when she's going to be disobedient. It just happens. What, it what happens with kids. And, you know, there's oftentimes I'll look at her and I'll be like, I just can't imagine it. You know, because she's so small and she's just so happy to be around you and, and just loves being around mom and dad, you know. But there will come a point when she's going to start to be disobedient. Mom and dad are not going to be as cool. You know, we think we're cool, but we're not as cool as we thought we were. And that was one of the things, if you look at the first and the second chapters that we saw in Judges, there was a pattern of disobedience. God had told his people if you are obedient, this was what will happen. And they didn't do it. They were continually disobedient. And today, Scripture, the Scripture we're going to look at today is the same thing. We're going to look at the disobedience, but this is what we're going to do. We're actually going to take a deeper dive and look at some case studies. The Scripture today is a case study and specifically what this disobedience looks like. So I'm going to ask this of all of you. We're going to play doctors today. We are going to play doctors, and together we are going to diagnose the problem in Scripture. And we, as doctors, are going to do a case study. Now, this is how normal case studies go. Normal case studies go like this. Number one is you go through the history. You look and you review the history, and then there is a presentation along with an examination, and then you are given, and you go and you give a diagnosis. The interesting thing about case studies, though, is oftentimes case studies can involve something that's unexpected. It doesn't always go as planned. So there is something that can happen that's unexpected. But here's what I want you to walk away with today. Here's what I want you to look at today is this. It's only God that can provide a true deliverer in an unexpected way. It's only God that can provide a true deliverer in an unexpected way. And what I want us to see by the end of this is that, you guys, that we can together look, that we can see who is it that needs to have a heart transplant in this story? Who is it that needs to have a heart transplant in this story? Before we get started, you guys, because we're going to dig into Judges 3, 7 through 31, Why don't we pray before we get started? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you, God, that uh, you allow us to come before you today and to dig into your word, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today and to apply your word, Lord. Not just to apply it, Lord, but to go and to know that it's through the Holy Spirit that we can live lives, Lord, that are obedient to you, Father. So, Lord, help us to hear you today. Speak to us through your word, Lord, and show us what it looks like to know you and to love you and to be obedient to you, Father. We ask this and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So... um, thing about Judges is Judges, there are some really long chapters. So we're going to look at chapter 3 today. But uh, So I'm going to actually split it. We're going to look at it in different pieces too. So I'm to, the first thing i want to look at is Judges 3, 7 through 11. So Judges 3, 7 through 11. And it says this, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan-Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved him, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan-Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rashaphaim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz died. If you remember what we talked about the last couple of weeks, in the first couple of chapters, what we saw was that Israel was mixing with the other nations. The people were okay saying, you know what? We will inhabit these lands, but it's okay if we mix with the other nations, and the other nations stay there too. And that was in disobedience to what God had called them to do back in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 7. He said, when they go in, you are to wipe out those in the land. Why? Because God understood that you cannot live amongst them because they're going to pull you down, and you're going to begin worshiping and covenanting, covenanting with them. You see, God had set apart the the Israelite people in a covenant relationship with himself. And now what they were going to do is beginning to make covenant with the other people in the land. They were beginning to do that. And what it says in the scripture is that God did this. He left the people there to test them. Why test them? To test them to see if they will be obedient. So he left them there to test them, to prove their obedience, but also is to teach them war, to see the Lord work on their behalf, to remember him, to remember what he had done in the past, and remember the truths about him, is to teach them war. And how do the people respond? They do evil. It says they do evil. They forgot God and they began to worship Baal and they began to worship Asherah. What does it mean to forget God? It means what his scripture, what the word says, and what God had done in their life, they forgot that. Here's the interesting thing about remembering God and forgetting God, is often in our lives today, God and his truths just don't seem real. I'm dealing with certain situations in my life, and this is what scripture says. It doesn't seem real to me. But you know what seems real to me? The idols in my life. Because I can grab them. I can hold on to them. And I'll go to my idols really easily. That's what seems real to me. But when I read in scripture, you know it sounds good on a Sunday morning, but I forget what that is. And I don't remember the truth about God and how he's worked in my life. So we turn to idols quickly. That's what's happening. Now Ezra last week went and talked about who were these gods that they were worshipping? Baals. It's a name that you'll often hear in Old Testament scripture. I hear about Baal. Baal was a fertility god. It was marked by belief that, the, uh, that this god enabled the earth to produce crops and allowed people to have children. But if you know anything about Baal, Baal was a god where they it was. It was there was child sacrifice. There was sexual morality, and there was just a belief in, in a worship of creation over the Creator. They literally would take their children and burn them in the fire as a sacrifice. So, what God was telling the people of Israel: Do not mix with them, because they're going to bring you down. You know what they did? They mixed. And they began worshiping these gods and doing these things. So that's the one god. We have Baal. The other one is Ashereth. Who is Ashereth? Ashereth is considered a moon goddess. Worshiped as a goddess of love and war. And Ashereth, worship of Ashereth was noted by its ritual prostitution. Priests and priestesses, priestesses would practice divination and fortune telling. These were the people. These were what the people were doing in that land right there. And God knew you begin mixing with them, you're going to begin worshiping and doing those same things. And they did. And what was God's response to that? God's response was his anger was kindled. His anger was kindled. He allowed suffering because the people of Israel were defeated. And he sold them into the hand of Cushion rishathaim for eight years. And how do the people respond to that? They cry out. And God delivers a judge. A judge... Is not like a court judge. A judge is a deliverer. He delivers a deliverer to them, which is Othniel. And it says that the spirit of the Lord was with him, and he defeated the king. The land had rest for 40 years. And then Othniel dies. And as we're going to see, after he dies, they go right back into the same pattern again. Do you see the pattern that's here? The pattern is they forget God. They begin to worship other gods. God's anger rises against them. They cry out to him. He saves them through a deliverer. But here's the things that I want you to look at this right here. When we look at Othniel right here. Number one, why would God sell them over to foreign kings? If this is a God who loves them, is it in covenant relationship with them? Why would he sell them over to foreign kings? It's this. God allows suffering to restore. When God punishes, he doesn't punish just for the sake of punishing. He punishes with the intent to restore. He's he's doing it to restore. Oftentimes, we don't realize we need help until we get to a point where we realize we can't do it ourselves. And it's his love that allows us to suffer so that we go back to him. The other question is, will the work of Othniel last? They had rest for 40 years. And then they went right back to it again. You see, Othniel, and as we're going to see in these judges, he actually was the judge of all judges. He was a godly man. Because as we go into subsequent judges, you start to see it get worse. He was a judge of all judges. He had no flaws. This was the judge. But he dies. He dies. And the pattern begins again. Here's what I want you to take away from Othniel. Number one. Restoration only comes from God when God works through a chosen, Spirit-empowered deliverer. Restoration only comes from God when God works through a chosen, spirit-empowered deliverer. And the second thing is we need a deliverer that doesn't die. We need a chosen, spirit-empowered deliverer and we need a deliverer that does not die. I want you to remember these. Remember those right there. Because what God is doing right here is he's pointing to something greater. He's pointing to someone greater. Let's look at the next part of scripture and bear with me. This is going to be 12 through 30. And it says this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. Because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man, and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gigal and said, I have a secret for message for you, O king. And he commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went into in after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade, but he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the forge of the Jordan against the Moabites, and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goat, And he also saved Israel. You see, what this scripture is saying right here with this judge is the same exact pattern is happening again. They sin against God. They forget God. And the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites come and conquer them for 18 years. The people cry out for them and they cry out again. And then God sends another deliverer, to save them. This time, his name is Ehud. Ehud, son of a Benjaminite. Benjaminite literally means son of my right hand. But the scripture says he's left-handed. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that he is left-handed? You see what's happening in the story right here is Ehud goes and he presents the tribute to Eglon, the king. And as they turn away, his men go and he says, Oh, king, I have a message for you. And Eglon says, silence, sends out his servants. And he says, I have a message from God for you. Interesting. It's a left-handed. Why would Eglon the king send out his attendants and be alone with Ehud? Because he looks at Ehud and he says, he doesn't pose a threat Why? Because the scripture in the Hebrew word says that he was impeded on his right side. There was something wrong with his right hand, so he's left-handed. And when Eglon looks at him, he says, this guy doesn't pose a threat to me. Why? Because most people carry their swords on their left thigh, and they can pull it out. Well, he doesn't have anything on his left thigh. So he approaches Eglon the king for a message. He pulls out his sword, and he kills him right there. And he goes, and he escapes past the idols. Interesting. You notice how the idols can't do anything? All they can do is sit and watch. Why? Because they're not real. And that's the same thing in our lives. Idols can't do anything. And he escapes. He sounds the trumpet. He gathers his men, and they go and they kill 10,000 of the Moabites. 10,000 of the Moabites. You know, it's interesting. When you look at this scripture right here, it's how God uses a left-handed man. What is the significance of left-handed? It's somebody who looks weak and looks impaired. Someone who looks weak and looks impaired. And the other thing, too, is God secures their freedom through an unexpected leader in an unexpected way. An unexpected leader in an unexpected way. Someone who appears weak and impaired and is an unexpected leader in an unexpected way. And then we even see that the, the judge after that, Shamgar, the pattern continues again. You know, you read these stories and you've got to ask yourself a question again. Why does the pattern keep continuing? What is it that happens? Why do they keep forgetting God? And I want you to think about this in your own life, too. Do you continue to live for idols? Is there an idol in your life that you continue to go back to because you keep forgetting God? Why? Because God doesn't seem real. But my idols, they're very real, and I can grab onto them. You see, we want to fight in our own strength. We want to fight in our own strength. And what the scripture is saying is only in his strength can we do that. You see, each judge that we saw right here had success in a period of peace, but it was only temporary. We need a greater judge. This is the pattern of mankind. This is the pattern of mankind. We forget God and we begin to go after other gods because they seem real to us. We suffer. We cry out to him. But it's only temporary without a true savior and a true deliverer in our lives. You see, the people need a true judge. and They need a savior to stop the pattern. You see, Othniel, as great of a judge as he was, he was God's chosen deliverer, and he was spirit-empowered, but he died. And Ehud, he appeared weak. He was an unexpected leader. And he did it in an unexpected way. And when you begin to take the two of them and put them together, the picture of somebody else begins to emerge, of someone even greater, somebody who's chosen and who's spirit-empowered, somebody who won't die, somebody who appears weak, and somebody who does it in an unexpected way. And then we begin to see the gospel begin to take shape. Why? Because mankind forgot God and began to worship other gods. And then we suffer. And then God's anger arose. But God didn't take it out on us because he took it out on his only son. You see, we need a true judge and a true savior to deliver us. We need Jesus because we need a heart transplant to break the pattern. We need a heart transplant. And it only happens when we cry out to him. We cry out to him. You see, Jesus, he's the better Othniel. Jesus is God's chosen deliverer. Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Jesus conquered death and rose again, and Jesus lives today. Jesus is the better Ehud. Why? Because Jesus conquered in weakness, and salvation comes from something that looks so foolish. You see, on the cross, it was Jesus that was delivering us from the evil. Jesus that was delivering us and giving us lasting peace. It was on the cross that Jesus was overcoming death. And it was on the cross that Jesus was doing it in an unexpected way. Because the very people who killed Jesus thought that they had his back against the wall. But that was the very thing that he used to defeat evil and defeat death. And what judges, these judges show us, is that even though they forgot God, even though we forget God, he allows us to suffer. Why? Because of his love. It's his love that enables us to suffer, to turn back to him. And when we cry out to him, we turn to Christ in faith. And it's through that that he gives us a brand new heart for himself. It's only through him that that we can overcome the evil and overcome the idols in our life and give us true victory and peace. It's only in His power and only in Christ. I've shared with you guys before my own testimony of how I've come to Christ, and uh, the shortened version of that is I had a friend of mine. So I would go to church and I would hear when they would uh, give you the opportunity to to give your life to Christ, and I would always say, "I'm good." I'm going to wait till I'm like 80, 90 years old. I'm on my deathbed and then I'll do it cuz I got my life to live right now. I'm not ready to give up my life. And then a friend of mine was killed. And there was suffering. And that suffering turned me back to him cuz I said I'm not guaranteed this afternoon. And I said I'm not waiting anymore. God has got my attention. And it was through suffering that I went to Him and I cried out to Him and I repented. And I repented because I needed a true Savior to deliver me from sin. And it was His love that gave me a true deliverer and a true Savior. I received that gift. You know the interesting thing? As you look at the Temple of Baal, did you know in the news that they're actually building a replica of the Temple of Baal in both New York and London? They're building a replica. Why? Because if you look back in, in, like I think it was last year, ISIS was going through Syria and destroying all the old buildings. One of them was a Temple of Baal. So what they're saying is, we're going to stick it to ISIS. We're going to build a Temple of Baal replica in New York and London to stick it to. I don't think they quite realize what the Temple of Baal represents I don't think they realize. You know, the funny thing is there are many elements of Baal worship in our society today. Just because there isn't a temple, he's still alive. That God is still alive in in our world today. So what do today's gods, what does Baalism look like today? Well, first and foremost, it's characterized by a forgetting of God. We forget God and everything that Scripture says and the truth and what He's done for our lives. We quickly forget that and begin to do things like what? Well, Baal was was characterized by child sacrifice and sexual morality. Well, today we call it abortion, and there is sexual morality today. Or how about idols for career? How about money? How about sex? How about possessions? How about drugs? Anything that we put in place of God and begin to worship that and make a covenant with that instead of God. Idolatry literally means that we prostitute ourselves. You know why? Because our idols can't love us back. We love them and they don't love us back. They only use us. That's what idolatry is. When we replace God with other things. Each one is a turning away from God. What happens when we begin to covenant with other things than God? The same exact pattern. You see, God knows that we will not bring those things up. They will draw us down. And then we'll cry out to him. What's the pattern for you today? Do you find yourself worshiping an idol? Are you stuck in the same pattern of disobedience when we begin to continue to worship idols and not him why because we keep forgetting him isn't it interesting what the apostle paul says he says man those things that i want to do i don't do those things but the things i don't want to do i can do those things and i continue to do those things you see my case study recommendation my case study recommendation are we are the ones that need the heart transplant we are the ones that need a heart for god we are the ones. This is actually a case study for us. Why? Because God is the great physician. We need a heart transplant. And for those who have given their lives to Christ, and who profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what does it look like in your life? Well, it means, number one, is I live every day in the Holy Spirit. Spirit-empowered life. It means I wake up in the morning, Lord, here I am. Do whatever you want. Direct me direct my steps, direct my thoughts, direct my words. Every moment of the day, I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, what it means is daily repentance. God, I have to be honest with you. I messed up again. I ask that you just forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, because I'm struggling with this. Or I just said this to somebody, Lord, and I was wrong. Forgive me, Lord. I'm feeling like you want me to go to that person and apologize. That's being led by the Holy Spirit, daily repentance, obedience in his word. Are you reading his word? Even a devotional with a piece of scripture, are you at least doing that? Because if you're not even doing that, then you're not even hearing from him. How am I going to be obedient to him if I'm not even hearing what he says in his word? And i be obedient to what he says in his word. It's praying. I pray all day long. I'm about to go talk to somebody. Lord, give me the words that you want me to say. Help me, Lord. It's continual asking for help. And it's also living in grace and knowing that when I don't live up to it, I don't have to be in fear to him. I can go and say, Lord, I know you forgive me. Help me. I can approach his throne not in fear, but through love. That's what it looks like in the life of somebody and a believer. Now, what does it look like for somebody who has not given their life to Christ? Let me tell you this. He is offering you the very best gift. It's a free gift of salvation. It's a free gift of salvation for freedom and peace in your life. He's offering you that. A chance to break, as the song says, break the chains and break the idols. False gods, they can't love you back. Only God can love you. Only God has compassion on you when we cry out. And it's only God that can give us a true deliverer. You guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we praise you for your word, for who you are, Lord. Father, we... We come before you and we just admit, Lord, we are in a pattern of disobedience. And our, our whole life is marked by disobedience, God. And we need help. We need help, Lord, and we thank you that what Jesus did on the cross, Lord, he died for us so that we can come and you can break these chains in our lives, Lord, because we just finding ourselves continually in this pattern, Father. Lord, I want to lift up in prayer those who have given their life to Christ, Lord. That you would help them to live in obedience to you daily, every moment of the day, Lord, to live spirit-empowered lives, Father. I also want to lift up in prayer those who who don't know you, Lord, as their Lord and Savior. Father, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, and open up their eyes and their hearts to, to receive the free gift of salvation. For freedom and peace, Lord, in their lives For those of you who have not given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity right now. And it's a it's a way to pray. It's nothing magical about this prayer, but it's a way to to allow the Lord to come into your heart, to come into your life. I'm just gonna ask where you are right now, just to repeat these words, to say, Dear Jesus, I have lived my whole life apart from you. I have sinned against you. I have been disobedient to your commands. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And I will follow you for the rest of my life.